Well, good evening. I'm Rick Dancer. Welcome to Get Real with Rick Dancer. And we have a really special show in my mind tonight. Uh, as everyone knows by now, the governor, Governor Kate Brown, uh, put 15 counties on extreme risk. Uh, the ones in our area, that's Lynn and also Lane County. Uh, so that means we go back to square one. Um, and a lot of I'm, my emails lighting up with businesses saying, Rick, we can't do this again. We cannot do this again. So the other day I was sitting there and I don't know why I thought of her, but one of the things I thought is how come we can't do anything at the legislative level to stop the governor from just doing what she wants to do? Cause she works for us. <laughs> and, and so I thought who's one person, <laughs> one that I trust in Salem uh, to talk about that. And the only person that comes to mind was Senator Betsy Johnson, um, a friend of mine, uh, a Democrat. And, um, but this is the most uh, thoughtful person and she says it like it is. And so we're gonna talk to her in just a second. When, uh, when a friend of mine, uh, uh, Dr. Uh, Michael Bratlin heard her, just heard overheard some of the things we, she and I were talking about, I was in his office at the time. And he said, I want to sponsor that show. So I'm going to bring Michael's commercial on real fast. And then we're going to get to Senator Betsy Johnson. So we here do we a go. lot of crowns and we do really good crowns. Um, and it's funny, a patient asked me the other day, is like, how are you giving such cheap crowns? And, and I think they think that maybe I'm having like lesser quality. I have really good quality crowns and we do really good work. And we're, we charge, if you don't have insurance, we charge 998 bucks. So if, let's say you break a tooth and you know you need a crown, you can call us and that's how much you're paying. Um, uh, you're not gonna, we're not gonna charge you all these add-ons. You, you don't want a crown that breaks. I don't want stuff from China. Uh, it's a local lab. Uh, they're phenomenal. You're gonna come in the chair, we're not gonna charge you for a limited exam, x-ray, um, a core build up in a crown. We're gonna charge you 998. All right, so that's our sponsor. And as you can hear, my train is going by. Senator Bessie Johnson, I, Rick Dancer, have my own train. <laughs> that's what happens. I love it because it's like part of old Eugene history. This is Bessie Johnson. She told me I don't have to call her Senator because she and I are friends. We've known each other a long time. Um, Betsy, you hear this. Um, you've been sitting uh, as a senator in the Democratic aisle for a long time. What what are you what are what are your thoughts after you hear what the governor is saying today? What are your people? You represent what Columbia? I represent North Tillamook, Clatsop, Columbia, uh, a little bit of Multnomah on Savvy Island in the working waterfront, uh, Western Washington County, rural Western Washington County, and Bethany. So I, and then one house in Yamhill County. So arguably I represent six counties, but that one house in Yamhill County, I don't think counts uh, on, the, on the totality of things. Well, just before I start ranting about this extreme risk stuff, I wanna tell you my office is at an airport and has been since the late seventies when we ran a helicopter company here. I ran and flew for a helicopter company. And so my background noise frequently on Zoom meetings is a helicopter coming in for fuel or an airplane or a jet coming in here. So we both have our little nifty studio noises. And uh, we're, we're transportation, Betsy. We're all about transportation. That's exactly correct. And I make no apologies for the fact that the thump, thump, thump of rotor blades is in here. Sometimes it's life flight. Sometimes these are firefighting helicopters and they're always welcome on our ramp. 
So let me talk to you. I'm sitting in one of those counties that just went uh, to extreme. We moved uh, from high to extreme and my phone is already ringing off the hook. Uh, the restaurateurs have just had it. Uh, that the, the vicissitudes of one day we're open, one day we're closed. They hire their, their front and back of the house. Then they got to run them all off again. They don't know how many burger patties to buy. They don't know how much lettuce. Uh, people don't know what the rules are. And other than the corrosive effect on the whole hospitality industry, I think that this, this uh, jerky movement among ratings, whether you're low, moderate, high, or extreme, is breeding a, um, a whole cadre of scofflaws. People, in my experience, have just had it. They've had it for a lot of reasons. They've been locked in their homes for a year. Uh, they don't know what's going on at the national level. The guidance changes all the time. CDC just came out today with the rule that now if you're vaccinated, you can be in groups of people without masks. But we've got OSHA in Oregon saying you, anywhere you go, you got to wear a mask. We've got the governor changing levels. Um, people are confused. They're yeah. angry. They have basically had enough of government doing it to them and not with them. And so I think the upshot of this is that we cripple the restaurant industry further than they're already crippled. And I, beyond that, you're going to extinguish some restaurants. But um, I, I, I just think that people's tolerance is gone. I answer my own phone when I'm here and my colleagues tell me repeatedly that I'm a dummy to do that and I shouldn't. For me, that's a way to plug into the people that I represent. And boy, do I get an earful from some of them. So Betsy, I heard the Restaurant Association, um, I, I read on, on uh, AP Wire that they were saying, you know, why is it that these, these were found, I, in fact, where is that? They were found, the current outbreak was educational institutions, healthcare settings, and manufacturing facilities. So why is it that gyms and restaurants are the ones taking the brunt for this alleged increase that's happening? Why are they the ones being shamed for this and um, being made to be OSHA's little police force? Well, it moves around. Uh, I mean, at one point, it, it's, and we're here again, it's restaurants. Uh, then you talk to the school people. No, it's not the schools. It doesn't transmit among children. Uh, yes, it's manufacturing, but what kind of manufacturing? I, I think that the inconsistencies in the reporting have, has been problematic. Yes, and thank. People <laughs> don't, yeah, I'm trying to be kind here. People okay. don't honestly know what are the metrics what are the actual numbers? The fact that the hospitalizations had gone above 300, I think to 319 or something like that, was one of the metrics, but people don't know what the metrics are. And the reporting based on whatever the interest group is, seems to change from uh, activity uh, to activity to know what are the hot spots of transmission. So Betsy, somebody writes on here, uh, Sandy, she's a regular on here. If those who refuse to wear masks and get vaccines, make them stay home so that the businesses can open up for the rest of us who have worked hard by wearing masks and getting the vaccine. Is, is that the problem or? I don't know. And who are the mask police? I mean, we don't have enough police now to keep Portland from turning into the mess that it's turning into. I don't know where we're going to get the mask police and I don't know what are the sanctions and I don't know who rats you out. 
somebody calls up and said, oh, I saw Johnson leave the house without a mask. Suddenly I got, uh, you know, flashing lights in my driveway. Um, I don't know the answer. And the messages have been so mixed. Right. Um, when I'm out in public, I wear a mask. I, I try to be a good troop about this, largely because I think the mask and and bending the curve on the on the virus is a way to get Oregon back on its economic feet. But I don't know how and under what circumstances and with what enforcement mechanisms anybody can force somebody else to wear a mask. Right. I, I mean, we still, I, and people hate this word, it's the new F word, but freedom. We still are supposed to have the freedom to make a choice in this country and in Oregon. And it doesn't feel like we're, you know, if you mention anything about anything like this, this is what comes up. It becomes this argument that because you guys aren't minding your manners, this certain group of people, you're not doing it right. I heard this in the swimming pool this morning. Some guy said, well, if people would just do the right thing, I think that's messaging and it's really not what's happening here. It's not because people are going out and blatantly trying to get other people sick. Um, it's, it's a virus. This is what viruses do. <laughs> you well, know? it's 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 blaming the victim in many instances, and right. there are going to be those people that uh, choose not to get vaccinated, either for religious reasons or because let's be blunt, the 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 uh, stop in the fire in the uh, Johnson and Johnson virus or the stop in the in the Johnson and Johnson vaccine spooked them. Um, I chose to get vaccinated, and. Um, uh, that was a personal choice of mine, but there's a fair amount of really getting on people's cases. You're treated like a leper absent a vaccine. And anymore, the greeting has been not, hi, Rick, how are you? It's hi, Rick, are you vaccinated? Right. And it's like, when did my, when did my public health, my health become your public? You know, yeah. I'll come out and when I had cancer, I'll come out and do it, but I'm going to do it my way. And it, it feels like now we're creating, and I almost feel like the way that this is being treated by our governor, we're creating an us and them. We're creating a divide. We're coming in, divide and conquer, get them not to talk or to say, you're the enemy, and then we can't find solutions or, or get back to, to living. Yeah, but Rick, you've been around long enough, uh, and a, you're a native son of Oregon and a keen observer of what's going on in this state. We have become so tribal on everything. Yep. Um, if you question, for example, one of the, quote, police reform bills, you're a racist. If you don't get vaccinated, you're one of the bad guys and are perpetuating the demise of Oregon. Um, we are assigning names to activities. I mean, tell me how a peaceful protest is breaking out the windows in the Oregon Historical Society. Exactly. It, uh, but we're so quick to jump to the to the you're a bad guy conclusion. And you know from your years in politics that it can no longer be a thoughtful disagreement among people who are approaching the same problem from different perspectives. I got to grind you into pace to make my point. Right. Uh, this has become a very difficult situation in terms of just our our civic interactions. So let me ask you this, and we, you and I talked about this first, but I want people to understand, I guess there's this feeling sometimes out here is how can one woman have this much power and th there's a whole legislative branch up there of Democrats and Republicans and, and who we elected 
and there's nothing you can do to go in and and to stop this well let That's me give you the let me give you the practical limitations because when executive powers were granted to the governor and that has happened since i've been in the legislature when executive powers were granted to the governor it was with the idea that she whoever the governor is would be exercising those powers in response to a natural disaster a cascadia subduction event uh, a tsunami i don't think any of us that were around that conversation believed that it would be in response to a pandemic nor that it would last now longer than a year and so I think we're all in uncharted territory, but she is exercising powers that are statutorily granted to her. In order to change that, a bill would have to pass both uh, chambers of the legislature that are dominated by Democrats. So it would have to pass both chambers, supposition, and then it would have to get signed into law by the governor. Right. And so I, I think that the possibility that, um, there would be a curtailment of uh, these very expansive executive powers. Um, is it's 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 not practical to think that it's going to occur. But I can tell you, people ask me all the time, when does this end? Uh, and um, I don't know if any lawsuits have been filed to the unfettered exercise of the executive powers. But I can tell you that the landlords, for example are feeling pretty abused by the continuing extension of these no eviction uh, executive orders that are leaving landlords, maybe 15 to 20% of their buildings are now not paying at all. The bill is mounting. Landlords never went into the landlord business to be social, social service agencies. And so I, 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 this, this all contributes to what I characterize as that grinding noise that is happening in Oregon right now. Um, and it is a grinding noise. It's grinding between urban and rural. It's grinding between uh, Republican and Democrat. And we now have an independent in the legislature, Senator Brian Boquist. Um, I can't look in any segment of my life, uh, perhaps the relationship with my cat that doesn't have a grinding noise. So, Talk to me about this. You said that um, there's a, there's some special sessions coming up. Are we there supposed are. to talk? Are we supposed to talk about that yet, or is that am I? I I'm happy to talk about it. It came to me in a public forum, and I am happy to talk about it. I have been speculating about it, but word came out of the speaker's office that we should be thinking about a special session the week of September the twentieth. Uh, there was no confidentiality stamp on it. So if I'm blowing information that shouldn't be out in the public square, I apologize. But I think we all figured that um, that there was going to be a special session. We have a couple of problems. Uh, one of them is just finishing the business of this session. We are required, we the legislature are required by the Constitution to produce a balanced budget. And by that, I mean each agency of the executive branch has to have a bill passed that has its budget numbers in it, and then it's signed by the governor and that becomes our balanced budget. We are struggling right now to get that work done because when we believed we were coming into this session with a significant deficit, over a billion dollars, um, uh, we were planning a cuts budget. 
And so uh, we prepared for that. Now come these huge tranches of federal money. And in fact, there's so much federal money that we're really going through an interesting process. And I do want to talk to you about this because it affects your district uh, of trying to figure out how to spend that money, how to get it out, how do we measure what's the return on investment. Uh, and so um, uh, we've, got, we've got our basic work problem. The second problem is that uh, we've got redistricting. And as you know from your right. time in politics, that redistricting accompanies the, the uh, federal census. And it happens every 10 years. The federal census was delayed this year because of COVID. And so the numbers were not accumulated in a way that could get those numbers because we rely on the federal numbers, could not get those numbers to the state of Oregon fast enough to have uh, us deal with redistricting during this legislative session. So the two presiding officers, Peter Courtney and Tina Kotek in the house, went to the Supreme Court and asked the Supreme Court to grant Oregon an extension right. uh, for uh, us to get our work finished. And the court extended that. So uh, our legislative session ends, uh, it mandatorily ends the end of June which means we're gone and then we're going to have to come back in um, in uh, uh, September to be able to finish the work of redistricting. There are so redistricting. Go ahead. Let me ask you. So I want my audience. We did. I did a show with a um, independent party and a couple of Republicans about redistricting. I want because you're a Democrat. I want you to talk about how important. I mean, I don't think the public understands how important redistricting is to make balance and fairness in Oregon a thing again. Well, it's 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 the end all and be all. Let's start at the federal level and acknowledge uh, the news that came out. I guess it was yesterday. Yeah. Time flies in my kind of COVID addled brain uh, <laughs> that we got the news that uh, Oregon is going to get a sixth congressional seat. We have five congressional seats right now, and our population has uh, has created a sixth seat. So that work will fall to the legislature as well. Then uh, we redo all of the House and Senate districts. There are uh, 30 senators, and each senator has two corresponding uh, House members. And so those boundaries of my Senate district will be the boundaries of the two corresponding House districts. And in my case, I'm Senate District 16, and my two corresponding representatives are Suzanne Weber in House District 32 and Brad Witt in House District 31. And so redistricting is supposed to happen with some fixed criteria. It is, uh, it is designed to respect geographic borders. It is supposedly to not break communities of interest. It is to try to um, acknowledge uh, uh, not splitting a city in half, for example. That certainly didn't happen in the last redistricting when I represented all of Tillamook County and Tillamook County was broken at Third Street in Tillamook. Everything south went to a different district and everything north stayed in my district. Well, but Betsy, I live, I live in the country and <clears throat> like outside of Eugene Springfield and Cresswell, Cottage Grove, 
um, all these little country areas and mine were put in uh, when uh, Secretary of State Bill Bradbury did the redrawing of the lines. Um, we got put in with the University of Oregon and South Eugene. You couldn't have two different areas in the world. And so what that does, so people understand, basically that just dissolves those rural votes and it, it, the, the votes that count. That's what gerrymandering is. And that's why redistricting is so important so that we get these things fairly drawn so we can have a competition between ideas, not that's somebody. Not, that's not exactly one correct. And not have districts that will be Republican or Democrat forever and ever. Amen. I mean, that they're so stacked that um, that a Republican could never get elected in this district. A Democrat could never get elected in that district. That is what is not supposed to happen. Right. But anybody that says that this is not a political process either doesn't know or is woofing you. This is the most political process that we undertake because so much power resides with how these lines are drawn in terms of the balance of power within our own legislature and power to have uh, influence at the national level. So you're a Democrat. Do you get, do you get yourself in trouble because you come on and you, 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 uh, you're a pretty moderate person. You got, you got, you got goals and you have very deep seated beliefs, but, um, for me, Betsy, and I'm just not blowing smoke up your butt, you're one of the most workable people. And we need more people in the Republican and Democrat and Independent and Family Work Party like you that can go in and say, this isn't about the fucking party. It's about people. It's about Oregon. It's about what's best for all of us. And I feel like with COVID sometimes, this has become, you know, Governor Brown is not paying attention to economically what this is doing to people's lives. And that's, that is as important as what COVID is doing. And it, it, it all matters. And yet we're getting, her committee is made up. That's the first thing that blew me away. And I don't, I'm not expecting you to toss anything on this, but this is the first thing that blew me away is it's all these medical folks, which are great, but what about, the other interests and people like that, I'd be wanting to get input from all these people say, how do we create the best program? To, and, and when you close down a beauty salon, what does that do? When you close down a restaurant and tell them you have to put people out in the water, what does that do? You know what I mean? That's what just drives I me have, crazy. About this. I have screamed at her staff about doing that, that when you, when you close the door to make these decisions, you ought to have a restaurant tour in the room. You exactly. ought to, uh, to to understand what is the practical effect of what you are doing to people. I mean, exactly. frankly, I, I don't know this for a fact, but I'm told that Dr. Seidlinger is a pediatrician, not an epidemiologist or a virologist. Um, I don't know who all is in that decision-making room, but at least the screwies ought to be in the room to express their opinion. The guy right. that I well, felt this the sorriest for was a guy that is just on the edge of my district, but he chose to call me, I guess, because I return his calls, uh, ran, uh, runs bowling alleys. And these are beautiful bowling alleys. Now I don't bowl, but I know a beautiful building when I see one and they would not let him reopen. But here's the irony and the thing that just pissed me off. I heard you, I, I keep thinking this is radio and then I'm no. listening to the vocabulary and I'm trying to be good. Um, 
but they would let him run a little pub inside the bowling alley. So you could have a beer and a burger. That was okay. But you couldn't bowl because that was going to kill you. And I, I spoke to the governor's economic development advisor repeatedly and said, what is it with you guys? I can have a beer and a burger, but I can't bowl. And bowling was what brought people in to have the beer and the burger. And so well, some of these contradictory, silly things. Exactly. Well, what about when they opened that so you could go play lottery games, but you couldn't eat or have a beer inside of a restaurant, but you could do oh, a lottery I, I heard from consistencies that it drives me crazy. I heard from restaurateurs who were so angry. And what they said to me was, let me get this straight. I can't serve a meal, but you want me to have somebody in my restaurant to watch your lottery machine. They, they never abated the taxes, even when those machines were turned off. And so you want me to have somebody in here babysitting your lottery machine that is driving revenue for the state and I can't serve a beer. So, so Betsy, let's talk. Let's talk. What can what can we um, what can we do? What are some what are some things that people? I mean, out here, um, I, I don't want to leave it on a on a just a, you know getting out information like this. And you're not going to change the people who think that this is called cause because people are being bad people and they're not behaving. They're never going to listen. Um, this is this is about um, <clears throat> we need a better process and we need to have everyone involved in this process. And um, so anyway, I'm just I'm rambling. What what, what do we do? What from well, a, let, me, from let, a, me, let me riff off of what you just said for a second, because you said we need a process. Um, that's one of the things that's missing right now. And I do a radio show, too, and I bring this up constantly in my little radio show. The process that was our legislature is completely broken. Um, we're now meeting in the Senate five days a week. We just got notice that that's going to start. The House has been meeting and on the floor for as long as 11 hours, even though they've had four cases of COVID there. They're serving hot meals again in the, um, in the Senate and House lounges. Uh, it's business as usual, except the public isn't there. Uh, the advocates, the activists, the professional lobby, and I can hear some people recoiling, you know, lobbyists are horrible. Lobbyists are just advocates paid to advocate for a, a certain position. But none of those people are included in the building. And physically, they cannot come in. And so we're doing public process without the public. What? I just don't get it. The building is locked up tighter than a tick. You cannot get in the building. And for a while, well, that's right handy. during, that's during the handy. That's kind of handy if you want to get things pushed through and not have anybody get uh, any debate on something. That's a really, that's a great technique. You think? <laughs> Bessie, what are we going to do? Well, the good news is that the plywood came off the building. For a while, it was even worse. There's construction going on in the building. And so it is surrounded by Jersey barriers and fences. And then during one of these spates of, quote, peaceful protests, they were so worried about damage to the Capitol that they put plywood up over the windows on the first floor. We look like some third world banana republic. Our building guarded by the police. There are more police in that building. And I, I shouldn't say that. I was going to say than legislators. And that's too hyperbolic. Um, but there are an awful lot of, of police in the building 
basically guarding an empty building. And so you can't, uh, I mean, the public is excluded. And so the argument that I get back is, whoa, no, this is way opened it up, is all you need is a computer and you can participate in Oregon's uh, virtual committees and virtual debates from anywhere in the world. Yeah, if you know how, and if you've got internet, and if you are sophisticated enough to figure out all of the uh, um, labyrinth and, of how do you get there from here. And Bessie, and what I've heard is complaint. I've heard complaints too from people saying, okay, so you sit there and you wait, and the session goes on, and then all of a sudden the bill gets put on, we'll do this tomorrow. So you've sat there for three hours waiting to comment, and then it goes away, and then it's tomorrow. So you have to have no full-time job. You have to be fully invested in doing that, and there's not many people that can do that, which is probably why it's happening that way. That is so, correct, and I have heard that the chairs are in some cases being quite um, selective in who gets to testify. Uh, and I do want to talk about ways and means on the road because we have done five two-hour meetings. And I know that there were people sitting on those um, uh, Zoom meetings that didn't get to testify. So I want to come back and talk about that a little bit. But your point is for the routine business of the committee. I mean, honest to God, one of the lobbyists, I didn't, I have no firsthand knowledge of this, but I'm told it happened. One of the lobbyists, and, and these are just professional people who are paid to advocate for different positions or industry groups or whatever. These are not bad guys. Sometimes when you say lobbyists, people get out of garlic and a crucifix. The fact of the matter is there are lobbyists for the food bank. There are lobbyists for, for everything. Right. But of one, of the lobbyists, one of the lobbyists asked one of the, the uh, leadership, well, how are we supposed to watch multiple meetings simultaneously? And the answer was buy more computers. Well, Christ, my desk looks like the uh, like the, the the flight deck of the U.S. Enterprise now. I'm sitting in a room that has four monitors in it, and I the human the human brain just has so much bandwidth to be jumping from meeting to meeting and waiting your requisite time. And and if I hear the expression, can you hear me one more time, I'm probably going to hurt somebody. But no, this isn't working. And the excuse that we have thrown open the doors of the process is all you've got to do is have a computer is hogwash. So is this the result? And I know I'm going to tread here just a bit. You, you, you know me well enough. You can do what you want to do. Is this a result of why or a proof that why a supermajority is a bad thing for any party? Oh, I, I'll say it. A supermajority is a bad thing. When yeah. we are closer together in numbers, it forces consultation, collaboration, negotiation. Those have come to be bad words. Um, I, in my soul, am a deal broker. That's what I do the best. That's the part of my job as a senator that I like the absolute best. Trying to put together disparate interests to, uh, to effectuate a result that is satisfactory for everybody. But these super majorities, I talked to my Republican colleagues on the floor and just getting rolled day after day after day, uh, they're tired. And I will say in fairness to them, they have fought the good fight. Senator Hansel, Senator Finley. I mean, these are honorable guys uh, that represent their districts, one from Ontario, one from uh, Pendleton. Um, and they come over, they have to drive. I mean, it takes five hours to drive to Ontario. They come over and they fight the good fight and they get rolled. 
There are 18 Senate Democrats. Now the D's don't have me on every vote. And what's, what makes, I can say it on your show, what pisses me off is that instead of saying, you know, Johnson read the bill on all four corners and found it wanting, instead it goes, Johnson, Democrat, folded in with the Republicans and stabbed her guys in the back. I get no credit for being able to read a bill and make a fundamental judgment about whether or not I think it's good for my district and by extension, good for Oregon. Uh, the partisanship is off the chart. And that is as a result of these uh, super majorities. So if you were queen or governor, what would we do to take back the state of Oregon for all people, not just for one ideology so that we could make it kind of like, because you and I both, both grew up here and people go, you know, of course, if you bring up, you know, Oregon was a place where people escaped to because they felt comfortable here. Then you get all the people who go, well, we were racist. We treated people like this. You can't have a conversation about Oregon as a place where people had ideas. You had Mark Hatfield, you had Senator Wayne Morse, you had people like that who, Vic Atia, people who really listened to people and negotiated like old fashioned times. We didn't have people like Kate Brown who are pushing an agenda and not paying attention to anybody who disagrees with her. And so she has all of her people that are blah, 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 that, that just listen to what she says and everybody else is voiceless. And that is not how Oregon is supposed to work. Well, if you'll indulge me for a little trip down memory lane, um, I came up in that environment. My father, Sam, represented Crook, Jefferson, and Deschutes County starting in 1965 and then went through redistricting and had Deschutes and Eastern Klamath. He left the legislature in 1979 and was mayor of Redmond at the time of his untimely death. Um, I knew a lot of those guys. I knew Stafford Hansel. I knew Governor McCall. I knew Governor Atiyah. And that was a time when these guys, Republicans and Democrats, could have these high-minded principal debates on the floor. And then yep. they'd all go down to this nasty old bar. And I bet you remember it. It was in the Marion Motor Hotel, which has <laughs> since burned down. And they'd sit down there in the Marion Motor Hotel and they'd have a couple of drinks. And they talked to each other. They trusted each other. They liked each other. They moved in the direction towards each other. And I would submit that that yielded some of the, the sepia-toned halcyon days of Oregon's political history um, when R's and D's could get along. I don't think yeah. Mark Hatfield and the work you've done on um, memorializing him and trying to share his example of statesmanship with people through the video that you produced, um, uh, Mark Hatfield, I don't think could make it through a Republican primary right now. He said that. He said that he, because back in the day, Wayne Morse supported Hatfield over the Democrat. Um, for the U.S. Senate seat because Mark Hatfield and Wayne Morse both disagreed with the Vietnam War. Now, that sounds really good now, but back at the time, 70 percent of Oregonians supported the war. And Mark yeah. Hatfield said they would never we would never get a pass on that today because people have become so partisan about everything. Well, so partisan about literally everything. I wrote a $250 personal check to a friend of mine who was a Republican who was running. And boy, did I catch a load for that. Um, <laughs> you get your kitten rear? <laughs> this, is, this is a personal friend. Um, I, I don't know. But to go back to your point, we have lost our ability to seek the best of what good ideas from both yep. sides produces. 
And right. I don't think anymore we know how to make deals. I was talking about a bill today. Uh, there are two competing fire bills in the Oregon legislature, and there are things that I want to call your listeners' attention to. One of them is uh, a bill that cedes most of the deliberation and enforcement about fire to state agencies and does it to Oregonians in the name of combating conflagration. The other that's put forward by my state representative, Brad Witt, sets a table with the people who are going to be affected, local government who may have to redo, redo comp plans or planning documents that they're operating with, um, irrigators, farmers, uh, and my argument has always been do it with people, not to people. Uh, yep. And um, I'm very worried that some of the bills that we're coming up with are very much on the, um, you know, we know best and we're going to tell you how it's going to go. I tried right. to explain to one of the proponents of one of these very draconian fire bills. I grew up in central Oregon. I still have a house there. And if somebody from the fire marshal's office thinks that they can come over and tell me to cut down 200-year-old, 200-foot-tall, old-growth ponderosa pine trees that are in my yard with overlapping canopies in the name of fighting conflagration, uh, they better not come alone. <laughs> I wouldn't mess with you. <laughs> okay, so Betsy, I don't want to take your whole night, and um, but what, what, tell, what other things... Do you think that people in my audience really need to hear? I have a thousand questions, but what what else do you think that somebody can you give us some hope, though? What can what do you think um, is that old Oregon thing dead or can we revive it? Can we do we stick to our guns? Do we I mean, what what do we do? And these are not it all these are all not all. This is not mask anti mask. These are just people, I think, on both sides of all these issues that are just going. I I just want I want some truth. I want some truth. If enough people get pissed off enough, I think we can start to see a trend back. And I'm going to suggest to your audience that they can start with the special elections on May the 18th. School boards will be uh, elected. Port commissions will be elected. I think as easy as it is to get discouraged, that uh, my advice would be don't re-energize go meet with other like-minded people find good candidates to run for these positions help them like crazy raise money for them knock on doors for them um but we've got to get electable people to come forward and that means uh, in my view that both parties need to let go of their worship of the ideology and say what's good for oregon I mean, the exactly. way that I position myself is the way I position myself is I'm not a Republican. I'm not much of a Democrat. I'm an Oregonian. I've yep. been in the legislature for two decades. I know where the bodies are buried. I know what works and what doesn't work. Um, I stay around because I think I have the courage and the character to make a change. But until enough people say I've had it with the gridlock, I've had it with the fighting, I've had it with this, that and the other thing we're we're in trouble and right. the special interests that have come to dominate Oregon's policy politics that have access to almost unlimited money are sometimes the tail wagging the dog 
I think everybody ought to keep their eyes on campaign reform. Does that mean muzzling the voices of one segment by disallowing them to write checks and leaving the path open for other segments to write virtually unlimited checks? Um, we have to stay engaged and you got to fight the good fight. And um, I'd start with making sure you're registered to vote. I hope we haven't passed the day, uh, the date for registering for the, um, the uh, uh, special election that the, the, I call them special elections. They're off cycle. They're not the big elections that occur in November, but these are school board, special districts, stuff like that. Uh, yeah, there's going to be a, there's going to be a push to have same day registration. Our new secretary of state is interested in making our very, um, I think effective, I hate it, but our effective vote by mail, even loosier, goosier than it is. I very much like the idea of standing in line with my friends and neighbors at the Episcopal parish hall. And I get my ballot and I'd mark my ballot and I'd stick it in the box and the poll lady would say, Elizabeth Johnson has voted. And I think you're goddamn right. I have. Um, <laughs> so, I, so that I think is, is where the rubber hits the road. Um, I, I think uh, having people with points of view reach out to their legislators. Uh, you've got kind of a mixed bag as far as uh, R's and D's down in the in your listening area. I've been seeing some of the names pop up. Uh, I, I, somebody from Roseburg is is listening. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of a mixed bag. But I personally think that it is the obligation of legislators to interact with the people that they're privileged to represent. And these guys that send out these form letters, you know, thank you so much for your input on this important issue. The senator will take it under advisement when the vote is cast. It, you might as well just, you know, draw a finger and send it to them. Um, what, what, this I, <laughs> I call people back. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I, I just, so, I worry that so many outside national influences are using Oregon as a test bed to try out all these goofy ideas. Ballot measure 110, which I proudly voted against, is going to reshuffle the deck on how we spend marijuana money. Um, I'm actually now for the first time hoping for national legalization because I think you're part of the state, but particularly Josephine and Jackson counties, uh, because we grow very high quality dope very fast, are becoming the um, the shipping point for dope all over the country. Uh, anyway, it's I, I I have never been as worried about Oregon as I am right now. I, Me too. I am. I, I think what's happening to our beloved state is a tragedy, and until that nitwit DA in Portland uh, or Multnomah County begins to lock people up and prove that there are consequences to busting out the windows in the historical society, nothing there is going to get better. Don't you think it was funny when Ted Wheeler's coming out and asking for the public's help to stop the riots the other day? And I'm like, oh, my God, you would be the worst parent on the planet a year and a half after the riots start. And now you're going to get serious about making sure the kids are being taken care of. And of course, you can't call on the police because they already screwed them. <laughs> you know? I, I know, Ted, I have said it to his face. Um, I, uh, I yeah, Portland, Portland is just pathetic. So last question I'll ask you, will you run for governor? 
I used to say that um, I would have about as much chance of being elected governor were I to throw myself into a wood chipper. Um, I, I wouldn't say it's off the table right now. I, it's not something I'm actively pursuing at, at this moment. I've got a budget to write. I'm one of the three people that write the budget for the state of Oregon. Um, and we've got to figure out how to get all this federal money out the door in a way that is accountable, produces some results. Uh, and um, I'm a pretty busy girl right this second. The session will be over the end of June. There'll be plenty of time for re reflection. It's a very full uh, Democrat slate right now. I mean, you can almost judge who's running for governor by how many unsolicited letters with thoughtful musings and recommendations uh, come wafting across your internet. Um, it, it just count them up sometime. Yeah. Uh, so it's a it's a it's a full field, but I think we're premature to be talking about much of anything. Okay, let me. I, I lied. So let me ask you this, and if you can't answer this, I don't. But I just I hear so many people saying, you know, why is why is Governor Brown doing this, and why is she keeping us, you know, under wraps and all this kind of stuff? And it feels like, and I'm just this is my sense that she's expecting federal dollars to bail her out and the state out. And now you sit, then here's all of us who are struggling because of her decisions. And then you hear Oregon has a surplus and then they tax our PPP loan. And you're like, oh, my God, it's like so a good leader. I kept saying, why don't you, Brown, why don't you take a pay cut? If you want us to take a pay cut, you take a pay cut. And then that's what a good leader does is you show by example. But instead, now the, the state looks like from out here, the state coffers got filled up by the federal government, solved the problem for her. And now we're going to tax the PPP loan. It's like it never ends. No, it doesn't. And uh, what happened was that, yes, her budget relied very heavily on um, an infusion of federal money. And the infusion came uh, it, about, I'm rounding these numbers up. I mean, I'm rounding them, not necessarily up. I'm rounding them. So about $4 billion is coming to the state of Oregon out of the $1.9 trillion uh, American Rescue Plan. Uh, right off the top of that is going to come money for counties, cities, tribes. That left us about um, uh, 2.6. We need about half of that to shore up our own budget because we entered this session in a deficit because we didn't have the federal money. So we need about 1.3 to shore up our own budget. That left 1.3. Uh, the co-chairs or the tri-chairs, this is Dan Rayfield from uh, Corvallis, Elizabeth Steiner Hayward from Portland and Johnson from Columbia County. Um, it, it left us uh, to make a decision about what to do the re with the rest of it. We peeled off $780 million that could get spent and we put uh, the other 522 uh, aside, we saved it because the federal money is supposed to last through 24. And if we spend it all now, we'll have none later. So we saved 520. What happened is that the presiding officers had gone through about a billion dollars through what's called the emergency board. And I don't want to get too far down in the weeds, but Peter Courtney and Tina Kotek set the agenda for the emergency board and they didn't get a whole lot of input from the rest of the legislature. The legislature was pretty cranky. And so this time Tina and Peter said, okay, 
we're going to involve everybody. So y'all, and there are 90 of us, you send us what your priorities are for your district. Okay. So we all sat down and we wrote out our little lists. I called my mayors, my county managers, my economic development people, my chambers. And I think I have, I don't know, 35 projects and they total up a fair amount of money. They're sewers, they're water uh, systems, they're all sorts of things. So then Peter and Tina, President Courtney and, and uh, Speaker Kotek got back the lists. Well, on the House side, it totaled $30 billion. On the Senate side, $5 billion. And so they looked at each other. I mean, I'm making this up. I wasn't in the room, but I would assume this is how it happened. And they went, holy shit, how are we going to sort this out? And so uh, the decision was made to give every state rep, and there are 60 of them, $2 million. Give every state senator $4 million. Well, that's too, too much money to do nothing with, and it's too little money to do something with. Right. Uh, on my list were sewer systems that cost uh, $10 million, revamping a well, $9.5 million. So we're supposed to negotiate in and amongst ourselves to see what we're going to pay for. I don't know how anybody is going to measure the ROI. I don't know how anybody's going to measure the readiness to proceed. I don't know what the metrics are. Does this have to create or retain jobs? Who keeps the books on these? If I spend 2 million of my four on this project and 2 million on this project, who's keeping the books on the performance of those projects? Um, so I, I don't know how this money is going to get spent. But I do know down in your listening area, you've got representatives walking around with two million bucks and senators walking around with four. So that spends $240 million. So then comes the question of what are we going to do with the rest of it? About $540 million. I know that there's a wildfire package uh, that's going to be expensive. I hope they get the policy right. But regardless of which bill they pick or what the amalgam of the two bills looks like, it's going to be expensive. The governor wants to put broadband out. I think that's a great idea. I've been very bitchy about asking for a plan. Are we just going to roll out broadband money or are we going to say these are the expectations of our providers, that there's right. connectivity with the next place down the road, that we get the best warranty that you'd give your commercial customers, that we know who's going to go take care of the wire if it gets cut by a, by a digger, who takes care of changing the batteries uh, in the wintertime when there's five feet of snow. I... I've been looking for some guidance from the governor's office about what does a plan look like, but set the absence of a plan aside. That's probably, the fire is going to probably take a hundred million. Broadband's going to take a hundred million. Every, uh, Tina Kotek wants to do 500 million of housing. Peters wants to put uh, septic, I mean, sewer up the whole Santa Yam Canyon that got burned up by uh, the, the Lionsgate and the Beachy fire. Um, Everybody has 27 ways to spend the money. I'm preaching the gospel of some restraint so that if uh, through all of these closures, our economy does not bounce back in a post-COVID Oregon, are we going to have some ability to pay for program? And I also am very cognizant of the fact that if you start a program today and it involves people, you're going to have what we refer to as roll-up costs. It costs more next year to do it because of inflation and a whole variety of things that drive costs. So um, it's it's a highly dynamic situation right now. I wish I could prognosticate the outcome, 
but I just want you to know that from my perspective, it is conservative demand results. It has to be auditable. It's got to have a service to all Oregonians, not just selected few that are connected in some way. And, um, and we ought to save some. Betsy, I should have you on like more often. I'm going to bug you because I have your personal cell phone. So I'm going to, I'm going to bug you because I think I'd like to bring you back when things are going on just to keep people down here informed because I think it's really good for them to see that not, um, you know, that, that, that people are fighting for them and, um, and that they have a voice, you know, that's my thing. I think people deserve to have a voice. And for me, I'm tired of people trying to shut them up and nobody shuts you up, which is what I love about you. Well, you've got a double dose of my opinion. Uh, and that's large. I mean, it's an informed opinion. It's an insider's opinion, but it's an opinion. And I would just go back to, to, to when I was characterizing sort of what am I? Uh, one of my old Senate colleagues, Ted Ferriola, used to refer to me as a BFD. And I took considerable umbrage at being called a BFD until I found out that what he thought a BFD stood for was business-friendly Democrat. And unless, <laughs> unless we reward the risk takers, the job creators, the people, I mean, I've signed both the front and the back of a check. I ran a business for 20 years. I was responsible for paychecks that weren't made out of latex. I was responsible for healthcare insurance. It is damn scary to run a business. And when we revile those people, when we punish them with taxes, when we don't let them get back on their feet after the COVID um, uh, 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 pandemic, um, we crush the nascent economy that is trying to come back and breathe life into Oregon again. We have got to take care of the job creators. And I count in that the landlords, the anti-landlord bias in that building is breathtaking. And last plug, because I think we're running out of time. I have a bill, Senate Bill 330, that tries to reimburse landlords 100%. They never wow. signed up to be social service agencies. I want to reimburse them 100%. Uh, and do it with a tax credit so that we don't have to, to come up with a big bag of money all at once. The tax credit could be utilized by the landlords over a five-year time horizon. It'll be interesting to see whether or not we can get that bill moved. But um, uh, that's I have very few policy bills this session because I'm mostly working on, um, on uh, uh, budget stuff. But that's the one big policy bill that I've got. Senator Betsy Johnson, thank you for taking your time uh, to hang out with us a little bit. Now, I suggest you go have our favorite drink, a gin well, and tonic. I'm, I'm going to model my mask for you. I don't think you can see this. Somebody made it for me. It's got wine bottles and tequila bottles and <laughs> uh, little whiskey bottles on it. And so I'm going to put on my little whiskey bottle mask and I'm going to waddle out of here and get in the car and go home. And I see a gin and tonic in my future. All right. Betsy, thank you. Love you. Thanks for being thank here. You for, thank you for having me. It was great to reconnect with you. Uh, as you said in the beginning of the show, we've been friends for a long time and it was it was great to reconnect. Thank you for having me as a guest. I will not be a stranger. Thank you, Betsy. So there you go. Um, <clears throat> I'm so glad we had her on. I just wanted you to hear from somebody who's an insider, who's there, who also um, is not afraid uh, to, to, to bust a few balls and, and say what is going on. Uh, we need more of that. Um, and, you know, what I take from Betsy and I've always learned from watching people like that is, you know, we don't have to argue with people. 
We just have to be sure that our voice is heard. And um, I think the best advice that I take out of that conversation is we do have, an, I think people poo poo school boards and fire districts and city council positions. Um, they wanna go for the gusto, but that's where it starts. And if you wanna make real change in Oregon, you need to vote on, on find out what people are like, what they believe who are running for your school board and what, who, what people believe that are running for different positions in your community. And then you need to be one of those people who runs for one of those positions in that community. If you have a voice of reason, then put it on a board, Get, put your money where your mouth is, put it somewhere where it can do some good. Um, and that's the way it changes. Has it changed tomorrow? No but it's taken us 30 years to get into this mess. And if anybody had uh, was paying attention, uh, you could have seen this coming a long time ago. We're apathetic, we became apathetic and didn't take the time to really understand what we were doing. And now we've created a super majority and, um, and it's biting us in the ass. And uh, how do you recreate that? You get involved. All right, take this, share it on your page if you would, please, so other people see it. That was uh, one of the most fun things I've done in a long time. And tomorrow, what do we have tomorrow? Uh, tomorrow we've got Oregon Concealed gonna come on and we're gonna talk about what's going on in Cottage Grove. And we are also going to, I know you guys think I'm crazy here. Um, there's something else, but I can't remember. And then on Thursday and Friday, we have shows all week. So you can check on rickdancer.com if you ever want to know what's coming up. It's all on there on the schedule. All right. Again, thank you, Senator Betsy Johnson. We appreciate you. And uh, hang in there.